Turn to Revelation 19. And we're going to read this chapter. Uh, that's not my favorite thing to do, but I just wanted to read it. Then we're going to go back and, and pick out some of the high points of it. And then I want to look at some scriptures that would, I think, relate to the high points that we're going to look at. So Revelation 19. It said, And after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise God, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the, right, linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great Lord, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the king of the earth, kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from uh, the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds and, uh, were filled with their flesh. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, show, showing, gave him to show his servants 
things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant John. There are many symbols and signs in this book. And for the purpose of this uh, uh, lesson here, I don't want to do the signs and the symbols. I, that's not important at this moment. But I think there are some principles here that, um, that we can see all in one chapter encapsulating the world today. And this is how things are. And so I want us to begin by looking at some of those things. As I mentioned, I'm going to point the, the major points will be in the, in the gold, I guess, but in uh, some points under them. But it's really the, 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 the main points. We'll go back and we'll read some scriptures pertaining to those after we get through with this part right here. So what we see is there was praise to God from this chapter and that he is worthy of salvation, glory, honor, and power. And his judgments are true and righteous. We also learn that the Lord God omnipotent reigns, and there's a great multitude in heaven who is praising him, and all you his servants, it says. That's us. That serve the Lord, that's what we're to do. Well, more about God's servants. Some in this chapter have died for him and have been avenged. And there were righteous acts done by the saints, by his saints, his people, his disciples, whatever you'd like to call them, that that's what we're supposed to do. Also, when John was going to fall down and worship this angel, the angel said, don't do that. I'm a servant just like you are. So we are to worship God and him only. We also learn that God has enemies. The great harlot corrupted the earth with her fornication. Shed blood of the saints. Killed them. In other words, openly against God. Satan, the great dragon, the great harlot, is openly against God, doing whatever she can, actively carrying on warfare against God. And it's all with purely evil intent. There's no good that comes from her. And the thing I thought of last Monday night at our house, a week ago Monday night at our house, two weeks ago now, I don't know what happened in that class, but something just dawned on me that I, I don't know if I've heard it stated quite like this. It's not going to be any breathtaking, shattering news for you. But what's happened with Satan in the great harlot is trying to rob us of our reward in heaven. That's it. Take that away from us, and we can be with him instead of being with God. So he's trying to rob us of what we claim to strive for. So we need to be aware. We also learn that God's at war with his enemies in this chapter. Um, as I told you, we're not going to talk about the symbolism and everything. But anyway, uh, not really going into it. But uh, the, 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 the white horse uh, and he who sat on him is uh, called faithful and true. 
and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven followed him. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. wonder what that sharp sword is. You read about that anywhere else? I think you have. With this sharp sword, he strikes the nations. And he himself will rule with the rod of iron. And he is the king of kings and is the Lord of lords. And then we have the other side of it where the beast, the kings of the earth, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So we have two opposing armies in this chapter. The beast and false prophet were captured and thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. It's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? We have two armies assembled and it's over. There is no contest. The rest, beside the beast and the false prophet, the rest were killed with the sword. What sword? Again. All the birds were filled with their flesh. So God is victorious. And it was never in doubt. So that's that chapter. I, I read that uh, actually uh, Gary Fisher in West Startville a couple weeks ago on a Friday night. We went over there and th- he was started this chapter and he finished the book and I thought, well that's what I'll do is for the God is sovereign thing. So there's a lot in there but I want us to read now the scriptures that uh, <clears throat> that I point by point will be relating to them I hope and would make some sense. Wants to begin by 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 4, where he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Now, 2 Samuel was written 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago anyway. And even then, he says, I will call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. I will call upon him. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 3, I understand that this is a reference to Jesus. It says, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So here's Moses, this, this great man uh, that the Hebrews would recognize, great as he is. This one, this Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Because he built the house. And in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. You are worthy O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. So here we are supposed to. Heap praises upon God. For he's worthy. Because he created all things. And they are sustained by him as well. In Psalm chapter 19 and verse 9 it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That whatever he decides, whatever God has decided, it's best for us. It's true and good and righteous for us. I keep thinking of... uh, a, a, a verse that you've heard me 
mentioned or read many times Deuteronomy 6.24 where the commandments and statutes and ordinances that God gave his people were for their, for our good only. Never anything he gives us that would be harmful to us spiritually or physically. He'll always tell us to do what's right. In Psalms 119.102, I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. And we open the Bible and we don't think of it as we have the concept of God's word, but we don't think of God actually teaching us when we're reading it. But that's exactly what he's doing. And so his judgments are righteous because he's teaching us. In Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4, Who shall not fear you, O Lord? And glorify your name, for you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. He's holy. You alone are holy, he says. If you think about it, that's what he's called us to be. The word saint in Scripture, his followers, his disciples, the word saint means holy ones, separated from the things of this world to be dedicated, set apart for God. In James chapter 3, in verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom that is from above. So that's not worldly wisdom, is it? That's the wisdom that comes from God. Peaceful, gentle, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. The good fruits, that's our part too that we should do. But he's without partiality. He's without hypocrisy. He will not. He's given a law. Let me rephrase. He's given a law for us to obey. All of us obey the same thing. All mankind is supposed to obey that same law. He's without partiality. He will not tell me one way to be saved and someone else another way. It's all the same. In that respect, and in every respect, he shows no favoritism. We all have to obey him as he states. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17, <clears throat> And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. There he is again, without partiality, he's going to judge. We'll, we'll be before him. And the way we live is how we'll be judged according to his word. And so if we've done what his word says do, then we'll get a favorable judgment from him. But if we haven't, without partiality, he's going to say, you failed. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. So we're, it's according to each one's work, into, according to the way we live. And that's the whole 
problem that Satan's trying to take that reward away from us according to how we live. Throughout the time of our stay here is to be in fear or reverence or respect for God. Again, that's what he's called us to do. In Genesis chapter 4, in verse 7, you know the story, Cain and Abel. Cain is not happy. If you do well, God says, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin lies at the door. I get the image of a cat just lying there, just laying there. I don't know, I always have. When I think of that verse, a cat just laying there and looking for the mouse, and I got it. And that's the way sin is to me. That's what it looks like. It's desires for you, but you don't have to give in. You should rule over it. We should control our appetites, as it were, our sinful appetites. I couldn't hardly get that out. We're to control that. Because if we do well, we'll be accepted. But if we don't, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for me. Its desire is for you. The adversary. The great harlot. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Sin lies at the door. Here's the adversary. He's in control of that. And he sends those temptations to us to entice us, to draw us away so that he can win at least that part. Sin's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what his job is. Revelation 12, 9, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. That serpent of old, Genesis 3, called the devil and Satan, the adversary, deceives the whole world. We read something about that great harlot and the false prophet deceiving the whole, those, his followers, their followers. They were cast out. And the angels and his angels with them. In James chapter four seventeen, therefore, James chapter four seven, excuse me, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's always out there waiting for us, trying to trap us, trying to get us in what by whatever means that he can deceive us. And so we're to resist that. And when we do, he'll flee from us. Submit to God. And that's the way you do that. You do what God says to do. In the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 talks about, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
his people, God's people, the living here in this life, living for him, you'll be persecuted in a way. And you'll be spoken against. They say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake, he says. For God's sake. Rejoice, though, and be exceedingly glad. For that's opening the door to the reward in heaven. Because those prophets were talked about in such fashion. They were hated because of the message they gave. And we can expect the same thing. In Luke chapter 18, verses 29 and 30, so he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So if we'll understand the, the, the fact that if we give up the world and the things of it, we get the blessings of reward in this life, but in the life to come, many times more than in this present time, we'll receive the rewards. And in the age to come, eternal life. That eternal life is with God, in his presence, in his perfect place in heaven. That's, our, that's what we have to look forward to. In Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it with all your might as to the Lord and not for serving men because God's the one that can reward us eternally in good things. In Hebrews 10 verses 35 and 36, therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise. This is the, that's the problem with the, if the sermon, uh, um, the parable of the sower when some of those people accepted what God would says and then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches enter in and it pulls them away because they don't have endurance. So we have to, we have, to have perseverance to stay with the commitment that we make to God so that when it's all done, we can receive the promise. But if there's anything in Scripture that is sort of a microcosm of life here on earth, it's these next four verses. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, and it's about uh, Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. 
So this Moses, this uh, lawgiver he turned out to be, gave him uh, the old law on Mount Sinai, was raised, born a Jew, of course, but so he was life would be saved. His mother put him in a basket and he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he's raised as an Egyptian. And he would have dressed like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian, would have been schooled as an Egyptian. But when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. That's what's here. The passing pleasures of sin. It's pleasurable, doesn't last. That's Moses. He says, I don't want that. I don't want that. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He's not short-sighted just for the here and the now. He's farsighted, if you will. He's looking to the future, looking to the re re reward, and it's by faith. By faith he forsook, he gave up Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's life. That's what we face every day. The, the choice of doing the things of the world and putting them first or the choice of looking to the reward right here. That's what we need to do. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's looking for the reward. That's a little bit of everything. First John, uh, Second John chapter uh, uh, Verses 7 and 8. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Many deceivers, they're out there. This world looks so nice. The things in this world look so enticing to us. It's deceptive. And it's designed to pull us to them, and thereby it pulls us away from the Lord. Okay, here's a conclusion. God reigns, just a recap of what we've already talked about. God reigns and is worthy of all praise and glory and honor because he created all things. Righteous acts are to be done by his servants, you and me. We're supposed to live right and do what's right and help and not keep our mouths quiet about the Lord. God has enemies that would do harm to him and us, his saints. They can't harm God, really. God's enemies can't harm him. He's going to take care of them. But they can harm us, eternally harm us. But God's going to help us. You know, how's he going to help us? How's he going to fight for us? 
He's given us the word right here. We all have, which is the sword of the Spirit. We've got it. He's told us in Scripture that we won't be tempted more than we're able to resist, but he will at least provide a way of escape for us. We don't have to give in to the temptation. We know that. He's helping his servants. God's enemies will perish. And he is victorious. And the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So if you're not one of his servants, you will not be in his heavenly home. If you've not decided to obey the God's call, the gospel's call, and be baptized to have the sins washed away, you don't have the heavenly home with that promise of an eternity with him. And so you will have lost it all. If you need to respond to the gospel, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?